with you this morning would you turn to the book of psalms the book of psalms we're going to look at chapter 49 in just a moment psalm chapter 49 as you're turning there you know in the last 50 years probably among the most funny pastors was chuck swindoll if you've ever heard chuck swindoll preach he is quick-witted and just has a tremendous sense of humor about various subjects, and it's a gift that uh, God has given him as he's communicated God's truth and using humor through the messages. But uh, Jack and Betty years ago gave me a, a book that uh, he uh, put out called The Tale of the T Tardy Ox Cart, and it, it's a number of little stories that relate spiritual truths and I want to share a couple of them this morning as we prepare to study from God's word. But in one humorous story, Swindoll shares of two women who had been friends for a number, for number of years but had not seen each other in a number of years. And they uh, met again at a social gathering and the woman looked at her friend, one of the two women looked at her friend and said, what a beautiful diamond you have. She didn't realize she had gotten married and obviously the ring was very impressive and she said what, what type of diamond is that and the lady responded it's the Callahan diamond and it comes complete with the Callahan curse and uh, some and the lady said to, to that woman well, what's the Callahan curse she said Mr. Callahan. <laughs> You know, wealth doesn't always bring happiness. In fact, it does not. In fact, the, the, the truth of the matter is we could probably, each one of us, stand here and attest to people we've known who have lots of money yet are very miserable. We, we see it on the news all of the time. But we shouldn't be surprised by that, that really um, material things do not bring purpose or fulfillment in and of themselves. We should learn it as children because how many of us at Christmas receive that nice shiny toy but by June of the next year you can't find that toy. It's in the bottom of the toolbox because it's been replaced by a newer toy. But we don't all get that, do we? In the same book, Swindoll shares this, a poem of a rich young person. And it goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my cuisine art to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. That all the wine I sip is white and that my hot tub's watertight. That racquetball won't get too tough. That all my sushi's fresh enough. I pray my cordless phone still works, that my career won't lose its perks, my microwave won't radiate, my condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. If I grow broke before I wake, I pray my Volvo they won't take. <laughs> Today we're looking at Psalm chapter 49 and we're going to look at a a totally different perspective of wealth and the goal as we come out of this study today would be that we would have a greater appreciation that all that we have materially is truly a gift from God and we would desire to be good stewards of it. Look with me at Psalm 49. 
Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who inhabit the world. Verse 2 of chapter 49. Both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddle with a liar. Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. They trust in their wealth and boast of their abundant riches. Yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. Since the price of redeeming him is too costly, one should forever stop trying so that he may live forever and not see the pit. For one can see that the wise die, the foolish and stupid also pass away, Then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their permanent homes, their dwellings from generation to generation, though they have named estates after themselves. But despite his assets, mankind will not last. He is like the animals that perish. This is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words. Like sheep, they're headed for Sheol. Death will shepherd them. The upright will rule over them. In the morning, and their form will waste away in Sheol, far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. Do not be afraid or be overawed when a person gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases. For when he dies, he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. Though he blesses himself during his lifetime, and you are acclaimed when you do well for yourself. He will go to the generations of his father. They will never see the light. Mankind with his assets, but without understanding, is like the animals that perish. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, um, we thank you for the counsel of the Psalms. And uh, Father, help us to possess the wealth that we have with understanding. And uh, Father, recognizing that everything that we have is from you, and we pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm chapter 49 is what is known as a wisdom psalm. You may see that it's a psalm of the sons of Korah, and those were individuals who served in temple service, some custodial-type work in the temple, but also with the music in the temple area. And as we look at this particular psalm, two out of the last three weeks, we've been looking at psalms. You remember in Psalm chapter 12, we looked at a psalm that we called a lament. And you may remember that was the psalm we looked at about three weeks ago. And the uh, thing of note of that was how that particular psalm ended really on a low point. And we talked about the fact that the matter is this. We live in a world where uh, injustices can come about, where difficulties come about. We shouldn't be surprised by those things. God doesn't always take us out of the troubles, but he'll bring us through the troubles. Then the next week, we looked at Psalm 92, a Sabbath psalm, and uh, we, we uh, recognized how that was a unique psalm, and it was a psalm of rest, a psalm of, of reflection. And we looked at the five attributes of God in that particular psalm upon which the psalmist was focusing And so today, we're going to look at what is called a wisdom psalm. And the wisdom very clearly deals with wealth, the possession of wealth, how we uh, receive wealth, and what our attitude toward wealth is to be. In fact, there may be no other chapter in the Bible that exceeds in wisdom the words regarding wealth that we find here in Psalm chapter 49. So today, 
I want to look really very simply at three truths that we can gain regarding wealth and understanding those three things, how we can apply that. And we're going to look at three other attitudes or specific activities that we're to possess in light of the truth. In the first four verses, the psalmist really makes a universal appeal in this chapter. He sort of introduces it. And, and it's almost like the psalmist, like a Paul Revere, is a herald. He's announcing. He's trying to draw attention. If there were a placard, there would be a big placard that he would be carrying. And notice what he says in verse 1. Hear this, all you peoples. And he makes it very clear that it's a universal appeal. And since it's a universal appeal, we understand it was not just for the original hearers or those who were singing or listening to these songs that were sung, but it actually is for us today. And we see in verse 2 a further attesting to the universality of it, both low and high, rich and poor together. You know, as you think about this subject matter of wealth, the first thing you think is, well, it doesn't include me. I'm not that much. I don't have that much money. If you ever had been, visited a third world country, you would probably think differently. But many times we'll look at the subject of wealth and we'll think of those multimillionaires and we'll think of that and we say they need to hear it. But notice as he's addressing the subject of wealth and our attitude, he says it's not just for the high but for the low. It's not just for the rich but for the poor. In fact, I would appeal to you this morning that just as many or more poor people struggle with attitudes toward wealth as do those who are rich, whether it be jealousies, whether it be coveting particular things, you don't have to have a lot of money to struggle with this particular concept. And so in verse 3, as he further adds this introduction, he, he, he sort of transposes this thing. He says, my mouth speaks wisdom, but really before that, my heart's meditation brings understanding. In other words, he says, I'm speaking, but I'm speaking from what first I gained by developing a heart of understanding. And so he moves from that, from this introduction, really to his personal testimony. And we see that in verses 5 through 9. And it's obvious that the psalmist is not putting himself in the position of being wealthy. In fact, he says in verse 5, why should I fear in times of trouble? That's a personal testimony, a personal attestation. The, the iniquity of my foes surrounds me. And then notice what he says in verse 6, they, not we, his attitude, they trust in their wealth. And so his foes, they were wealthy, but he was not. And so these individuals, we don't know anything much about them, but you could imagine they were probably very ostentatious. They were very showy. They were the type that were probably jingling their jewelry when they were in public assemblies. They were wearing the long flowing robes to destroy. They were well ornated, and everything was about what they possessed. And so we see as he looks at his personal situation the psalmist shares the first truth that we can gain about wealth, and it's this, and it's really wealth 101. 
in God's eyes, wealth cannot meet a person's greatest need. Wealth cannot meet one's greatest need. Wealth can do a lot of things, but it cannot purchase a person's soul. Wealth is a lot of things, but in and of itself, not eternal. Now, you can invest your wealth in things that are eternal, but in and of itself, our treasures pass. It cannot buy salvation of a soul. It cannot buy right standing with God. I wonder, have you ever noticed, again, the most rich people in the world are individuals who seem to have the most problems? Why is that? Because Wealth does not fill the void that sin brings in an individual's life. Is wealth bad? No, it isn't. Wealth is an inanimate thing, really. It's what we do with wealth that determines. Many people have used their wealth to to accomplish great things in God's kingdom. God's been able to accomplish through the giving. The scripture says a lot of people say the money, that money is the root of all evil. That's a misquotation of that verse. It's the love of money is a root of all types of evil. So it really is our attitude. And here in Psalm chapter 49, he's speaking about our attitude toward wealth. And the first thing he wants us to understand that will help us to, un- to understand really in uh, how wealth is, it's this. Wealth is limited. It cannot grant entrance to life. Notice what it says in verse 7. These, what is that? The abundant riches. They cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. God, in other words, is not moved by money. He's not impressed. He's no respecter of persons. There's no deal that we can make with God in order to get his favor. Some people, maybe they want to give, and through the giving, they think, I'm on God's side. But that's not how we gain right standing with God. Only Jesus can redeem a soul. In fact, in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 in the first part of 19, consider what Peter has to say about the matter. He writes, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. As the psalmist looked around at the wealthy in his day, he saw the limitations that their wealth had. He saw what limitations there were. But as for the psalmist, he knew his future was secure. Look at verse 15. But God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. And so we see in his personal testimony, his trust was in God who saves, and wealth does not have the potential to save our soul. But he moves on in verses 10 through 14, and he moves from his personal experience to relate a second truth and it's this you and I in reality have no control over our wealth you say well doesn't take a Rhodes Scholar to know that look at my 401k here right now okay mine I'm nonprofit 403b but to be honest we have no control over our wealth and the psalmist here is not presenting, presenting 
a hypothetical situation in verses 10 through 12. He, he's not just presenting something that's not reality, but he's looking again. Remember in verse 3, he says he's been meditating on these things to gain understanding. And the psalmist here is relating the truth that we have no control over it. And what does he say? The wise die and the foolish and stupid also pass away. In other words, death is no respecter of persons. Unless the Lord Jesus Christ first comes back, every one of us will die. But notice what it says. It doesn't just end with that in verse 10. Then they leave their wealth to others. What one has of value is left to another person. And when that person dies and leaves it, that individual, whether it be man or woman, has no control over the people left who will manage those material things. That's what he says. They leave their wealth to others. We laugh at, at my dad quite often. It's been a little over seven years since uh, he passed away. And um, my dad was a pack rat. I mean, he kept everything that he had. And my dad was eccentric often in his attire. He loved lavender. I, I don't like lavender. In fact, when he passed away, uh, Tommy Armstrong, uh, who's a pastor in our area, gave my dad some flamboyant uh, lavender shoes that he had. If you've ever, never met Tommy Armstrong, you have to meet him because he has all types of shoes. But my dad had this green, I don't know what color green it was. I won't say what it was. It, it just looks awful. And my mom, and I'm glad my mom doesn't have internet connections. She won't hear this, so you don't tell her. But she wanted me to have that jacket. I, I didn't want that jacket. <laughs> uh, and uh, you've never seen it. It's, I can't describe the green, but you, if... If I wore it, you would be totally distracted, not in a good way, and you wouldn't hear anything I said. So I was going through stuff, trying to clean out in the fall cleaning like we're all doing, and I saw that thing, and I said, it's going to sit here another five years. I'll find somebody flamboyant like that. Now, I have to figure out how I'm going to get rid of that without my mom knowing. I love my dad, but my taste in clothing wasn't like his taste was. And it's left. And what he really appreciated, I'm redirected in another way. And so we really have no control over our wealth. Now, let me qualify that. We do control what we have. We can decide, am I going to give to God in eternal things or am I going to give to non-eternal things? But we don't control really what we have. God has it all. We can say, I'm going to give to this, and we can make wake up tomorrow in the stock market crash, and we have nothing to give. God calls us to be faithful with what we have. And what it says is it's foolish to try to gain possessions, to gain possessions, and then you go to the grave, and the grave is your permanent home. That's what it says in verse 11. They're dwellings from generation to generation though they have named estates for themselves. In other words, the estates are named up here, but they're not here to enjoy them because they pass. If you've ever had the opportunity, you should read the book of Ecclesiastes in entirety. It says there's nothing new under the sun. In Ephesians, or rather Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 
through chapter 6, verse 7, speaks of the same matters that we're looking at here today in Psalm 49. And in that section, he takes a verse and he describes a person who, just as the psalmist here, works and then leaves it to someone who really doesn't appreciate that which the benefactor worked for. So while we can control the possessions that we have and how we use them, we really have no control over our material things. They're in God's hands. We have no ultimate control, but we're to be faithful over that which we do have control. Well, as we move on in verses 16 through 20, after speaking about the reality of death and how we don't take those things with us, the psalmist really summarizes everything in these last five verses. And basically, we see two things. One is, don't be overawed when people become rich. It's easy to do that, isn't it? We see someone of great money, and we immediately begin to esteem them. He says, don't be overawed. And then he says, you need to have a godly understanding about wealth. So verse 16, the first verse of this concluding part, verse 20, the last Everything's bookended between the two. But first, don't be overawed by the rich, but gain a godly understanding. And, and then he relates a last truth. And it's very similar to the truth we just looked at, but a little bit different. We have no control over our wealth, but wealth is temporal. We've already seen that even the rich, as well as the poor, the wise, as well as the foolish, die and they go to their eternal dwelling. What's left behind is left to those, and, and they have no control over that. But not only is that true, but wealth in itself is temporal. It's like cotton candy in the mouth. Once it stays there, it dissolves. Notice what it says in verse 17. For when a person dies, that one will take nothing at all, his wealth will not follow him down. Notice down, that adverb, going down. The person who trusts in riches, the arrogant uh, that he describes, the ones whose iniquities are really confronting him. But then he adds in verse 20, mankind with his assets without understanding is like the animals that perish. In other words, even in verse 18, if he blesses himself during his lifetime, and people are esteemed that do well financially. They'll go to the generations of the Father and never see light. So we see that wealth can't meet our deepest need. Only Jesus can meet that. We see that wealth we have no control over. We, we're called to be good stewards of that which we give. But in a, in a moment, in a night, we can lose all that we have because wealth itself is temporal. Well, what's to be our attitude? Very simply, three things. For all of us, our attitude toward our material possessions, and I seek to have this attitude in my life. One, realize that all I have is from God, and truly it is God's possession. Deuteronomy 8, 17, and 18, I've shared Kemper had preached this probably 10 years ago now, and I've always remembered that verse. You may say to yourself, my power and my ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. 
In other words, it is God who has given you the mental, the physical, the emotional capability to be able to get that paycheck, to be able to invest that money, to be able to make money. And we need to realize that because not only is it from God, actually we are God's if we have trust Christ. We are God's possession. We are of his possession, all right? And so we belong to him. And so we realize that all that we have is from God and is truly God's possession. Secondly, give God the best, not the rest. Give God the best, not the rest. We can't fool him. Leviticus 23 is a great chapter in the Bible. It speaks of the feasts that God prescribes at various times to the people of Israel. And one of the feasts listed is the Feast of Weeks, which we also know as Pentecost. Seven weeks plus one day after the Passover feast. It's known as the Feast of the Harvest. And at that time of the year, that initial harvest was gathered. And God made one thing very clear in Leviticus 23. He was to receive the first of the fruits of one's labor. God says in Leviticus 23, 16, present an offering of new grain to the Lord. It was not what was left over, but an offering of new grain, of first fruits, that which God gives us. It was to be new. It was to be fresh. And again, he adds in verse 17 of Leviticus 23 that it was to be the first fruits of the Lord. Knowing all this and knowing that even the ability to gain wealth is from him, we're not to give last, but we're to give first. We're not to give the rest, but we're to give our best to God. But then there's a third truth that we would apply. We're to give in order to care for the poor. We're to give in order to care for the poor. In that very same chapter, Leviticus 23, as he's talking about Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, the Harvest Festival. God says to his people, when you reap the harvest of your land, you're not to reap all the way to the edge of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. Why were they not to reap to the end or to the edge of the field? Because it wasn't their field, it was God's field. And God told them to do that. The harvest itself was truly not theirs. It was God who provided the rain and the sun. And God said this, look out for the poor. Dr. Timothy Keller, a study we did two or three years ago called Generosity, asked this of the church. And listen, church, are we researching for ways to lift up the poor in our community? Or are we as the church just driving by their homes all the time? God doesn't give a person or a church possessions for hoarding. Keller adds, Jesus died with only one possession, his robe. And so knowing that and understanding that the danger that possessions can be, we should possess those things with an open hand, ready to meet discernibly the needs of the poor discernibly. There are a lot of people that uh, are, will portray something, maybe they're physically able. I'm not saying that. You understand what I'm saying, but genuine need. And so we pray, God, give us understanding with our possessions, because as it says in verse 20, we could summarize it all. We need understanding 
with what we have. We need wisdom, God. We need your wisdom to know how to handle it. Although addressed years ago, a time when things were least expensive, a man named Roger Babson shared a profound consideration about how we utilize our possessions. And he wrote this, one dollar spent for lunch lasts five hours. One dollar spent for a necktie lasts five months. One dollar spent on a vehicle lasts five years. One dollar spent in the service of God lasts for eternity. How are we investing our money? I close with this illustration. Many of you remember Jason Holman, who was a friend of our church, a student at Hamden, Sydney, and played basketball there, helped with our disciple now, served, um, and just a great guy, wonderful basketball player, played on uh, the team that went to the Final Four at Hampton, Sydney. But Jason was a humble believer in the Lord. And I've shared, not from the pulpit, but with you probably conversation, this true story. There was a guy named Chad Warner who was assistant coach for the team at that time. And Chad and his wife, Karen, attended our church for a season. And where Farmer's Bank is now, I think at that time it might have been First Virginia, Chad, who was the assistant coach of the team that Jason was on, arrived and parked, but he noticed Jason was standing. It was a walk-up teller, not a drive-through. It was after hours, and he kept waiting, and Jason wasn't moving. He just wasn't moving. He, Chad said, Rick, it had to have been 10 or 15 minutes, and I'm thinking, Jason, how long does this take? And so finally, Jason did his transaction as he made his way back, being the assistant coach and then close. Chad said, Jason, what took you so long? Were you having a problem with the machine there? And, J and Jason said this, I was just stopping and thanking God that I could get money out of this teller. Think about that for a moment. That's possessions with understanding. If we get that right, all of the other things, the distribution and the attitudes, wisdom with understanding, I'm just thankful, God, for what you've given me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this chapter in the book of Psalms, a specific chapter that deals with our attitude toward wealth. Forgive us, Lord, when we take for granted the blessings that you give us. Forgive us for the times that we don't have understanding with our possessions. Father, I pray for us as a church. Lord, you have blessed us abundantly. Lord, it's been a blessed year. But Father, there's a purpose in that. Lord, we need to be wise, wise stewards of what you've given us as a church, but Lord, also as individuals. Lord, we want to be giving people we want to be people who understand, Lord, that what we have here, if we use it just for ourselves, it won't go with us. But, Father, what we invest in the kingdom, Lord, will make an eternal difference. Lord, help our attitude to be like Jason's, that, Lord, even as we receive that paycheck or wherever we go, we take time not just trivially but really to reflect on your blessings. And we lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.